Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. My name is Pastor Life. I'm the executive pastor here this morning, and we're so glad that you're here uh, joining us uh, today. We are in a series here, an Imagine series at our church, and we're embarking on a two-year faith journey seeking to trust God to increase our generosity as a church. And we've been in a five-week series asking this question. Can God do anything based on Ephesians 3, 20 and 21? Let's take a look at that. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We want the weight of all that we're trusting God for in this area of generosity to land right from these verses, to land on God. Now unto him. He's the one that's going to do this. He's going to use us and move through us individually and as a church. So in order to answer this question, can God do anything, the first week we looked at reimagining God. we got to have the right perception and the right truth and vision of God. We talked about God as a great father. I like to use he's a good, good dad. We looked at that he's creative and that he has unlimited resources. In the second week, we looked at ruthless trust. That ruthless trust responds to God's love. And ruthless trust obeys God, even if it seems illogical. And that's challenging for us, especially some of you control freaks out there. And you want it to make sense. Sometimes when we walk by faith and trust God, it does not make sense. Well, as ruthless trust grows, it moves us to what we're going to talk about this morning, and that's radical generosity. And a big part of increasing our generosity here at Grace Crossing Church is to increase our commitment in our giving. So in your handouts, you have a little card. I want you to take that out. It's a little little commitment card. Now, don't worry. We're not going to fill this out now. Um, Our Commitment Sunday is coming up in two weeks on October 28th, and that'll be a time where between you and God, you decide what to do, and you'll bring this card and present it then. But on the back, take a look at the back. As you're asking God what he would like you to give, just kind of take a look at some of those giving levels and see where God either leads you individually or um, with you and your spouse. The other thing I want to point your attention to is how to fill this out when the time comes. So flip it open, and on on the bottom half, you'll see on the top line there is what you'll fill in is what you normally give in a given year. You'll fill that in. The second line is what you will do for expanded giving for the Imagine Initiative. You'll put that, uh, that amount down. And then 
you'll add those together on the third line, and then times it times two. This is a two-year um, commitment. And on the far right there, you'll put down what that total is. Then the next line says, gifts from my stored resources. This is simply if you have something that you want to give that's uh, something in savings, it's a collection or a stock or, or something like that, you'll put that down. And then the last line on the right there is you'll, you'll, put, you'll put the sum total there, and that will be your two-year commitment. The commitment starts December 1st and goes two years all the way to November of 2020. Then fill your name and address and your phone number on that. So we'll be, there'll be a, a video on our website uh, sometime this week that you can go to in case you forget what I just said to, to help you out. Special word to those of you that are visiting. You're a guest, so we don't expect you to be a part of this in any fashion. But what we do hope is that you will embrace this whole idea of growing in generosity that God might lay on your heart, uh, whether it's this, this Sunday morning or another morning that you join with us. But it's so good to have you. Well, this morning, as I shared, we'll be looking at radical generosity. So if you've got your initiative journal, turn to page 17, and that's where we'll be landing. Anybody need a journal, raise your hand, and some of the ushers can bring you one. Just pop your hand up, but hopefully a lot of you have that. So this morning, we're going to look at radical generosity. We're going to look at it through a story of a woman that Jesus puts down what she did on the level of the gospel in the good news. Like, this is a big deal. Let's look at Mark 14, 9 to what Jesus says here. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. It will be talked about. We're talking about it this morning. It's a powerful story. And I'm excited to share it with you because as I was preparing, it touched my heart in some different ways. Well, let's take a look at it. It's found in John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover celebration began. We're nearing the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus arrived in a town called Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. It goes on. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and money given to the poor. Not that he cared about the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. A lot's taking place in this story. And I want it to be clear to you. The Mary we're talking about here is not Jesus' mother. Mary and Martha are Lazarus' sisters in this story. 
And you remember in some previous passages how Mary and Martha, Mary was preparing things, and, or excuse me, Martha was preparing things and Mary wanted to sit at Jesus' feet. And we'll, we'll talk about that more. But that's who we're talking about here. And they're here celebrating a very special dinner in honor of Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't even want to go to Jerusalem. Bethany's about two miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is if he goes there, they're going after his life. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, they're ready for him. But he doesn't quite go there yet. So he's in Jerusalem. And what's also unique about Bethany, and it's alluded here, this is where Lazarus was raised from the dead. So Bethany is very, very famous for this man that was risen from the dead by Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at three characteristics that we can learn from Mary that really defined radical generosity. And the first one is this, a heart of gratitude. This is the proper motivation for radical generosity gratitude. Imagine, if you will, almost like a movie or a TV show where things are happening and here Mary's at dinner, but yet she's reflecting on things. And they begin to pan away what she's reflecting on. And when she's reflecting, she's reflecting on some past things. So go with me here that there's a certain amount of gratitude welling up in Mary during this meal. And here's some of the things I think she might be reflecting on. First, her thankfulness that Jesus brought her brother back to life. There has not been a lot of time that's elapsed since that happened. But can you imagine? Here's Lazarus. Here's Jesus. The disciples, they're here. My brother's alive. Jesus rose him from the dead. We're getting ready for this meal. Can you imagine the gratitude that's just surfacing in her heart? Second, I believe there's a thankfulness in how Jesus cared for her while she was grieving her brother's death. He was dead for four days. And in John 11... Just the, the chapter previous, John eleven thirty three through 36, we see this. When Jesus saw her weeping, Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he, Jesus, was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. There was this visceral inner, like, it just moved him to be drawn to Mary in this situation. Maybe some of you have felt this before or you're with some, someone that's in such sorrow, in such pain, your heart just leaps out and wants to be there. That's what happened with Jesus. And he goes on to say, where have you laid him? Lazarus, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then a famous verse, Jesus wept. He doesn't weep a lot. We don't see Jesus weeping a lot. He wept here. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. It was so obvious, so thick and rich with emotion that everybody could see the love in Jesus' heart towards Lazarus. And I think Mary, I think Mary was reflecting on this and the way Jesus 
attuned to her, understood her, empathized with her. He was really there for her at one of her deepest moments of need. I could just see her reflecting on Jesus' incredible love and the way that he moved towards her in this time of grieving. I got a question. How has Jesus met you in times of deep need or sorrow? How did he provide for you? It's so good for our souls to remember and reflect on those times that Jesus has met us in some of our valleys, some of those dark places, some of those places where you say, ah, I just don't know what to do. I need you, Jesus. Well, I also believe Mary was reflecting on the thankfulness and how Jesus taught and encouraged her deep within her heart. Remember, Mary was the one who sat at Jesus' feet, and she just wanted to learn from him. She recognized him as the Messiah. She was really aware of who Jesus was and loved him deeply. Her life had been thoroughly transformed by Jesus. And I just wonder if she was asking herself, where would my life be without Jesus? This is a great question to ponder. Where would any of our lives be without Jesus in our life? Without his help? Without his comfort? Without his guidance and strength? Especially in our time of need. Well, as we've been going through this Imagine series... This is the characteristic where God has been coming to me. It's this, this gratitude. And, it, and I, to be honest with you, it kind of surprised me because I do take time to reflect on what God has done in my life. But when we began to um, go through this engagement journal, the Lord didn't just grab my head with this Imagine series. He really, really grabbed a hold of my heart. And he grabbed a hold of my heart with a couple of the questions, one of which was, who has had the most influence on your spiritual life? And as I was thinking and writing, my name, or the names that came across my mind right away were Tim Benhardis. Met me at a local YMCA when I was an eighth grader. Didn't have a clue about Christianity, the faith. Tim took me under his wing and with a matter of several months, shared the gospel with me. And that's where I came to Christ. And I, I'm eternally grateful. I'm eternally grateful for him and what Jesus did there. Someone else, just right here locally in Fairborn, is a mentor friend of mine by the name of Rich Westerwell. And right when we moved here, God connected us up. And I've been meeting, I'd say about once a month for breakfast with him. Man, Rich is invested into my life as a man, as a dad, as a husband, and as a follower of Christ. He's, he's been there. He's been a strong support in my life. And then another question in that journal was, who has influenced you the most in giving and in generosity? Thought right away of Gene's dad, my father-in-law, Jerry. Jerry Johnson. Jerry 
has been unbelievable in the way he's modeled generosity. Generosity to the church, generosity to missions, generosity to his family, it has simply blown me away. And generosity to our family. I remember our early days in marriage when I was going to seminary and getting my master's. And man, we had little money. I did not know how we were going to pay a tuition payment. But the Lord laid it on Jerry's heart and he extended a payment for that. And I was just like, wow, just so touched. And I just started thinking of so many people and churches and pastors that God has brought into my life to help me to get to where I am today. It's so, so many. The other area that I'm extremely grateful to God for, and this is probably one of the heavier ones, is my wife and my family. You see, God just, I mean, he's, he's done this before, but just yesterday, Gene and I were catching up on some episodes of This Is Us. I know some of you guys really enjoy watching that TV show. But there was an episode, or a scene, excuse me, that struck me with this gratitude of family in my own life. It's before Rebecca and Jack were born, or excuse me, before they got married, um, they were in a grocery store. And during, while he was in the grocery store, he had his mother there. Jack had his mother there, and he was in the process of getting her out of the home because his dad was an abusive alcoholic. And so they're in this grocery store getting some groceries. He's getting ready to get her out of the house, away from the dad to somebody else's house. And Rebecca shows up at the same grocery store. And they're in this aisle. And she asks him this question. What do you dream of? And Jack just stopped, frozen, a bit dumbfounded, and said, no one's ever asked me that question before. But if I had to answer it, I just want a family and a marriage that's not like the one I'm in. And I'd like a good job too. And there's something about the simpleness of that, and it's touching my heart right now as I share it with you, I get that, because that's where I was. I came out of the same kind of family. And my biggest dream was, Lord, if I could have a marriage that lasts, if I could have a family that's not so dysfunctional and crazy and chaotic, man, that would be awesome. But I have no clue how to get there. You're going to have to take me by the hand and get me to that place. Because it's, it's dark, and I have no clue. And the Lord did. And I, and I look back, and I know sometimes people thank their wife and their family, but it goes deep, you guys, for me. Because I remember being in that place, and that TV show helped take me to that place. And I'm so deeply thankful for what God has done inside. And it's it's been a lot of people, as I mentioned. It's been a lot of things to come around me. It's been a lot of hard work to break through some really ugly patterns that I grew up with. But my heart is just deeply thankful. And if you haven't taken the time 
to go through this engagement journal, I really would like to throw a few questions your way just to stir this heart of gratitude. It's so good for our soul. One question would be, if you have some time this week, just to ponder these, reflect on these. Who has been the greatest influence in your life spiritually? Second, who's been the greatest influence in regards to giving and generosity? And then third, what has God done in your life that you're truly, deeply grateful for? It might be his love. It's so powerful. We've, we sang about it. We, we've talked about it. Maybe it's you coming to Christ. Maybe your relationship with him. Maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe it's your church, your spouse, kids, grandkids. For some of you, great-grandkids. Maybe it's a friendship or your home, your car. Some of these things we just kind of take for granted sometimes. Our job, finances that we have, community that we have, the education that we've received, experiences that we've been given to help support us and give us different perspectives. Let all of these fill your heart with gratitude. Well, Mary was not only filled with gratitude, but she displayed a second characteristic of generosity, which is a measure of spiritual maturity. You see, spiritual maturity is tied to generosity if we're doing it from a pure heart. Mary was intentional in her spiritual growth, and it showed. First, Mary's maturity went beyond the disciples' maturity here in the area of obedience. We see here in Mark 14, 4 through 5, how she obeyed despite the disciples' reaction. Let's take a look at this. Some of those present, the disciples, we know about Judas from John when we read that earlier. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. They rebuked her harshly. These guys were out of control. These guys were furious. This word indignant means angry. Harsh. Very upset with what Mary has done here. They told her she was wrong. They told her she was foolish. They told her that this was wasteful in what she was doing. But they didn't understand her heart. They missed that. Spiritual leaders, disciples here, you guys. This isn't garden variety stuff. They missed her heart. But Jesus didn't. He said just the opposite. Let's take a look at the next verses. Hey, guys, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done, get this, I love this. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor You'll always have with you. You can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. 
She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, I shared this at the beginning of the service, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, so powerful and so contrasting to what the disciples were saying here. Radical generosity will at times be met with judgment and a critical spirit, just like the disciples showed here. And this isn't coming from outside the church. And this isn't coming from garden variety in the church. This is coming from leaders. In those times, when that comes your way, listen to me. Don't be thrown. Stay your course. Listen to Jesus. Hear him say this is a beautiful thing. This honors me. Well, Mary's maturity also went beyond the disciples' spiritual maturity in understanding that Jesus would die soon. She was fully aware that Jesus would die in a matter of days. And again, this was a contrast to where the disciples were. The disciples were still struggling and believing and doubting and forgetting what Jesus was doing on three to four occasions. He told them he was going to die, but they didn't get it. They got thrown by what was going on in their lives and what they were facing. We know that Judas would betray him. We also know that Peter would deny him three times. But Mary... Her faith stayed rock solid. Her spiritual maturity did not waver. You see, spiritual maturity is very, a very important value here at Grace Crossing Church. We often say, come as you are, but grow. And the four metrics we focus on for spiritual maturity here at Grace Crossing are to grow intentionally, serve unselfishly, give generously, and live humbly. So this area of giving generously is one of the key metrics to our spiritual maturity, if done, from a humble heart. In order for all of us to keep maturing in this area of generosity, I want to turn your attention in your, um, your imagined journal. Turn to pages 11 and 12. For those of you that don't have it, I'm just going to read these off to you. And I'm going to be brief because you can read this more later. But this is a great little way of seeing, you know, where am I at maturity-wise in this area of giving? And, and what's my next step? How can I grow? So there's uh, five areas that are laid out here. The first one is just the initial giver. That means you just started giving. So a big step in giving is if you're not giving, just start. That's your next step. And that's a huge step because we want to celebrate every step along the way because it's a step closer to being more like Jesus and, and 
maturing in your faith. The next one there is a, consist, a consistent giver. That's just regular giving. You're just giving regularly. The third there is an intentional giver. And this means you're giving a percentage of your salary um, in your giving. And you want it to move towards a tithe. Move towards 10%. The surrendered giver is tithing at 10%. And they begin to assess their purchases in light of their giving. Like, okay, if I buy that, how is that going to throw me off with what I've committed to give and how God wants me to give? And then the last one is the lifetime giver. This is the giver that's future-oriented and even takes steps with estate planning um, just to make sure that giving is a part of their legacy. They want to see giving go beyond them after they die. So those are the areas just to, to kind of track. And no matter where you are, as I said, um, on this next step of your generosity journey, we want to celebrate each step with you along the way because it's going to help you grow closer to God. And it does entail ruthless trust, a lot of trust there, as we talked about last week. So Mary, Mary revealed not only how to be generous by being grateful and by being spiritually mature, but the last characteristic that she revealed was that generosity is often extremely extravagant. This is what sets Mary apart and why Jesus said that her deed will be remembered all around the world right up there with the gospel. Let's take a look back on John 12, 1 through 8, just the beginning part of that verse. Again, six days later, or six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. And a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then, and then this is where I want to camp out. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar, a pound, of expensive perfume from the essence of nard. Sounds kind of a weird name. I mean, right away I'm like, what the heck is nard? And she anointed Jesus' feet with it. In fact, I'm going to tell you about what nard is in a minute. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with this fragrance. So, this nard, this one-pound jar, some say an alabaster jar, which is a very ornate jar, usually uh, for the wealthy, um, the estimated price of this perfume was a year's wage. Here in Beaver Creek, the average household income is $100,000. I'll let you do the math, but this was very, very expensive. In fact, it said that it might have been a part of her inheritance that she was taking and giving to Jesus. This essence of nard, this was a plant found in the remote Himalayan mountains. And there was a root. You cut the root, you get the essence, you bring it back, move it towards being perfume. The fragrance of this perfume, I love this part, because this takes me back. The fragrance of this perfume could last one to two weeks. And when it takes me back, it takes me back to a missions trip that I went on with Athletes in Action to Morocco. While in Morocco, for the first time, someone anointed my head with oil or perfume, and it ran down my head all over my clothes. 
And I'm telling you, I smelled that perfume for days on end. I couldn't get it out of my shirt. I washed it several times. It was there for at least two, I want to say even three to four weeks. It was in there. So some of these perfumes, we're not accustomed to some of these perfumes. Some of these fragrances and perfumes, the fragrance is just pungent. It's just rich. That's what was taking place here. And I, my perfume probably was not as expensive as this one. I mean, I have no idea. I didn't ask anybody. But needless to say, the fragrance could last. They, they say that this fragrance could have even lasted all the way to when Jesus was dying, that it could have been smelled even when he was getting crucified by from the, some of the soldiers and stuff. It was that, that strong. So extravagance comes in by this very, very expensive gift. But there's a couple other ways that she showed her extravagance. Mary sought only to please Jesus with her gift. She did not worry about pleasing other people. She didn't worry about pleasing Judas, the other disciples, Lazarus, her sister. She was so locked in, all she wanted to do was to please her king, her Messiah, her Lord. That's very hard for us that are people pleasers. And not only these weren't people, as I mentioned before, these were spiritual leaders. These were ones like, whoa, they don't like what's going on here. But she was locked in. And she sought only to please Jesus. The other aspect of her extravagance is close, but it's this. I want to emphasize it. Mary listened to Jesus in what he said to her and filtered out all the other noise that was going on. And I want to even say the external noise from the disciples, but sometimes there's an internal noise that goes in and our critical judge gets going. Sometimes we can be our own worst critic. Sometimes we can knock, knock ourselves down. We don't even really need help from others, although that adds to it if that's going on too. But she locked in. And she listened, and she heard, this is a beautiful thing. This honors me. You know, there's some other examples in the New Testament of extravagance, and I want to bring them to you. It's found in the book of Acts with the early church, Acts 2, 44 through 46. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Get this, they sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Generosity was working in the very, very early church. There's another place that I want to bring to you from the early church, and it's Acts 4, 32 through 37. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses, they'd sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And then, this is cool, this last part. Here's an example. For instance, there was Joseph, the one called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, 
He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. And here's what he did. He sold the field. He sold some land he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Extreme extravagance going on here. And I want to say there's a time God calls us to give extravagantly. Above and beyond our normal giving. The question each of us needs to ask is this. God, am I willing? Am I willing to give in this manner? That's all he wants to hear. And he wants it to come from our heart. He wants it, he wants it to come from a surrendered place. And Pastor Gill, next week, is going to go into this because this is the one that <clears throat> keeps us stuck, the surrendered piece. So he's going he's gonna to talk about this next week as we talk about relentless sacrifice because it's not only a money thing, it's a whatever thing that's going on that will keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Well, in this Imagine initiative, our primary goal is 100% engagement. It's, it's not the amount, but, but I wanted to bring this up to say, God, are you asking me that? Because I wouldn't want you to hold back if God is wanting you to respond in that way. But what this means is 100% engagement is that all of us are to simply ask God what he would like us to give and obey. Both Gene and I are asking this question as we discern what God is saying to us and want to continue to encourage you in that same way. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the time for the, the commitment is uh, Commitment Sunday. It's October 28th. We want to celebrate. We want to show unity on that day. So we want to encourage you to bring out the white t-shirts again. We're going to do another whiteout. Um, and uh, as well as some of you are attending tonight, we have another um, service tonight, and it's open to everyone. It's, uh, we're calling it an advanced commitment service. And the ones that we've uh, asked to come, but it's really open to all, are, are those that are really invested um, in their time, their treasure, their talents here at Grace Crossing Church. And so we'll have a service tonight. Uh, again, all of you are op open to, to be a part of that. So just to bring our time to a close and to emphasize that all of what I'm talking about, all of this series, all of this growth towards generosity has got to land on God so that he can do the heavy lifting. I would like all of you to stand and together, I would like to pray the verse that we started out in this morning in Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Just read along with me in this prayer from Paul. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We're trusting God to bring a radical generosity to Grace Crossing Church 
throughout all generations, forever and ever, that we would leave a legacy, that this would be a defining moment in our church. Not what we do, but what God wants to do. The worship team is going to lead us in a song that it falls right in line with Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And after you sing, um, you'll be dismissed. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.